Hello, and welcome to a new episode of From the Honeycomb, a podcast that creates a spark of positive energy. Here we discuss all things architecture and design, to travel, exploring Bastu Shastra with a modern approach, and I connect with other like-minded women to share their story. I am your host, Katerina Burinova, and welcome to From the Honeycomb. In today's episode, I sit down with graduate student Michaela Denning for a conversation about art history, the importance of how a space is curated, and the experience you have when observing art. Michaela shares why she has focused her studies on women artists and the courses she is currently taking at Boston University. We also talk about our shared love of visiting museums around the world and how our insights as architect and art history student allow us to understand art. Well, Michaela, welcome to From the Honeycomb podcast. I am so excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun. It is. And I'm excited because the listeners don't know I have another family member on the podcast. So I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to always get family on. And so you are my sister. And I am really excited for today's conversation because we're going to kind of talk about your studies. And yeah, I think it'll be a good conversation. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Well, so we begin every episode by sharing something that we are grateful for Mm -hmm. in the present moment. So what are you grateful for right now? I'm really grateful for my holidays. I had an amazing Christmas and an amazing New Year's that I got to spend with my new friends and some family and I had a really nice restful break from school and yeah I'm just really grateful for that whole time that I got to spend like rejuvenating and also with like friends and family that's been really awesome oh nice no it's important to have those breaks too like in between semesters just like decompress absolutely (laughs) yeah yeah Right now, what I'm grateful for is I have switched to drinking matcha tea in the mornings, and it has been so good. I'm trying to reduce my caffeine a little bit, and I have really enjoyed the energy I get. So I have a little matcha with some oat milk, and then I've had a little splash of coffee in it every morning just to help with the caffeine so I don't get a headache, and it has made my mornings like I had matcha today. And I don't know, there's just this really nice level of energy I have throughout the day where I don't crash like I do when I have coffee. And that's been really nice. I still have my afternoon cup of coffee after lunch, but I don't know, I've just been feeling really good. So I'm I'm really grateful that I've switched to matcha and I'm going to see how it goes. That's awesome. Yeah, matcha is really great. I've had like matcha stints in the past and it's always been really nice. Yeah, I feel super healthy right now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It does. It does make you feel healthy when you're making your little like matcha lattes. And they're so pretty because it's a nice color of green. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So Michaela, you are now studying for your master's, correct? At mm-hmm. Boston yeah. University. Yes. Yes. Good. Yeah. I always mix up mm-hmm. college or university. Good. So you are in Boston. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of universities in Boston. That's no. completely understandable. So you are at Boston University and share with the listeners what your major is and then also kind of the backstory, what your bachelor's was and how you ended up where you are today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm a master's student. I'm a graduate student in the history of art and architecture department at Boston University. So that's essentially my major. It's not quite like undergraduate, like where there's like a very specific thing in like a general school. I'm very particularly a part of this small cohort 
I want to say there's probably about 20 of us. It's a, it's a bigger group than usual, but it is like a very small group of people. And during my undergraduate, I also studied art history. I went to three different universities. I went to Pierce College, which is a community college in Los Angeles. Then I transferred to Anglo-American University in Prague. And then I went to Arizona State University, which I did online while I lived in Prague. And there were a lot of things that kind of got me into art history and studying like contemporary modern art history and a specific focus on like women artists. You know, that doesn't happen overnight. It just was like a bunch of things that came together. So I chose art history just because, you know, our family always traveled when we were young and like our parents are huge on like cultural things. So we would always visit like art museums and cultural sites. So that just always felt really natural to me to study art instead to study culture through art. And then to study like art and culture through art. So I chose art history as my undergraduate major for that reason. And then eventually I got into like more like women's art and gender studies, naturally because I always had like an affinity for like feminism and I was always I was always very passionate about feminism and about like equality for women and all that. But then as I was in my undergraduate and especially at Arizona State University, I started taking like gender studies classes as just requirement, like to fill requirements, not Mm -hmm. necessarily related to art history. And those really opened up my perspective on women and women in history and how much we just don't know about the way women have impacted history because it's equal if different to the way men have impacted history. Mm -hmm. And then I also took a class by uh, Maura Riley. I actually took two classes with Maura Riley, who's like this incredible curator. And I read her book in her class, uh, the book Curatorial Activism, which is basically the idea of when you're curating, you're being mindful to include the groups that are often left out of exhibitions and out of galleries and kind of re- reinvigorate the art historical canon by including them in the art historical canon when they've been previously left out. Wow. That's really amazing. And how did you, so I just got lost in what you were talking about. (laughs) That's all good. It was a lot. It was a lot. Well, it's a lot too. And I'm just so proud of you because you're like my little sister and like you're using all these big words. So I'm sorry. I just completely, (laughs) not to go on a tangent, but I love that, especially coming what you were saying about, you know, groups left out and especially women and in history, because mm-hmm. I see it so much in architecture coming, working in an industry that is so heavily male dominated. And you do hear about a few famous female architects. I think one of the more famous one is Zaha Hadid, who passed away a couple of years ago, but she did, she kind of was at the same level as names like Frank Lloyd Wright, Frank Geary, you know, the the big the big men there. And so it's always mm. important to include those that you don't usually see that are in like mainstream media as well for mm-hmm. famous architects because there's a few that I can name and I'm sure you would know them, but there's very few women. And so with your studies and when you talk about curating, can you explain to the listeners what that means about curating exhibits? Uh, no, I actually cannot. <laughs> I've never curated an exhibit. I don't really know what goes into it. I okay. have very little experience on that. I'm starting to get into it a little bit. But just because I did my studies online, I haven't had as like much hands-on experience mm-hmm. with things like curating, like exhibiting. But I did have a class last semester that was at the MFA, which is the Museum of Fine Arts, Boston. Mm-hmm. And it's an incredible institution. And they recently organized 
I think they recently rebuild a part of their museum so that they can hold classes in there. And it's a really like new thing that they're doing. I think we were the first or one of the first classes that they did like this, where they want institutions like art institutions to work more closely with students and academics because often art institutions have been kind of separate from academics and especially students. And so I know that one of their big goals was allowing students to come into the museum and learn in a museum environment and have a more hands-on experience. So one of our professors was Professor Michael Zell at from Boston University. And another one of our professors was Christopher Atkins, who's a curator at the MFA. So that was amazing because we got to learn a lot in a like classroom setting, but then we also got to go into the museum and talk about the art firsthand. And Christopher Atkins is very knowledgeable. And both him and Michael did a lot to like help us see how the museums actually function. So we got to go and see the like art uh, restoration mm-hmm. part of the museum where they work on the art and they fix them. And that was amazing because we got to see some paintings really up close and we got to talk to a woman there. I don't remember her name, but we got to talk to a woman there about like art restoration and how that process is. So I'm, ge- I'm kind of getting to learn a bit more about curating, but since I haven't had that experience and I haven't had a class on curating, I don't actually really know what goes into it. I know that it's now in modern times, like groups work on curating exhibits together. It's not just an individual person. I'm sure it's similar to architecture, right? Like it's not just one architect who's like doing something. It's a group of people. And especially in art with the way that art's developing, these groups are becoming more and more diverse and like more and more interdisciplinary, depending on what the exhibit is or what their goals are they're going to try to get people they're not always great at it (laughs) not everyone's perfect and not every museum's the best at it but we're seeing more and more that people are trying to include as many people as possible and if there's something that's really specific culturally they try to get people that are experts on that and from that culture so I do know that but I don't know the specifics that go into it very much no, fair enough. I think that was a good good answer. And are there any is there any sort of artwork or time period or style that you resonate with more or that you gravitate more towards as you're walking through museums and and studying? I'm really drawn to contemporary art. I really fell in love with art history when I studied modern art, so like 20th century art, and then now as I'm learning more, I'm really I think I'm really gravitating towards the current artists, especially the current women artists. I worked at a gallery. I worked remotely at a gallery in London in 2020, and it was a gallery that focused on international women artists. And they're all so incredible and they're all so talented and kind. And it was fantastic to have the interactions with those artists and to see their art firsthand. And I'd really like to work on giving a space and giving a voice to those artists. I think moving forward, that's probably what I want to do with my career, but we'll see. (laughs) And how do you find artists? Is it, I mean, are you reading books? Is there anything online, social media? How do you, how do you find artists? And I know with COVID, I think that's also something that's important to state. And while you were at school, it was during COVID and during your Mm -hmm. undergraduate. So now with also museums opening up, I don't know if that at all helps, but yeah, where do you kind of connect with artists? I think there's a lot of ways to connect with artists. I think social media is a really, really good one. I think Instagram is fantastic for finding artists and like art events. If you follow artists and if you follow people in 
like the art community, you can definitely find events that you can go to. And those events often have more artists. I went to an event last year in LA that I just saw on Instagram. And it was just this like little tiny collection of artists, not particularly women. I think it was woman focused, but I don't think it was necessarily all women, but it was this like little, I don't know, just like a little exhibition. You could go there, buy the art, you could interact with the artists, they were there. And so you can go to things like that. I actually wrote down a podcast, another podcast that I think is amazing. It's hosted by Katie Hessel and it's called the Great Women Artists Podcast. And she has a lot of artists on, contemporary artists. And she also talks to like the family members of past artists. And that's an amazing way to hear about artists and hear artists talk about their own work who are like living and working now. So yeah, there's a lot of avenues to find artists. You can also make artist friends, like just (laughs) go to art community places and make artist friends and that'll get you into it too. No, for sure. And I'll provide links in the show notes to everything Michaela's talking about, the books she mentioned, the podcast. So don't worry, they will be in the links will be in the show notes. And so yeah, is there any artists right now that you really have gravitated towards specifically? And have you been able to meet them? I have met some artists, not as many as I would like. I did actually, I also wrote down three names, uh, three artists right now that I think are amazing. One is Jenna Gribben. She's a painter. And I I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. Gribben, it's G-R-I-B-B-O-N. And she's amazing. She does like these incredible, incredibly like detailed paintings of her partner that I think are really exquisite. Um, she was on the podcast, the the Great Women Artists podcast, and she talks about like her partner as her muse, which I thought was really sweet and really cool. They're both each other's like muses, which was amazing. And then another one is Louise, again with the name Louise Giovanelli, who's also a painter. And she does these like incredible, like luminous paintings that will kind of be like focused on like one thing, like she has done these like curtain paintings um, and it's these kind of like closed curtains and they're absolutely stunning. I think the kind of idea is that like, it's kind of catching like a moment in time with like the light and the luminosity and you kind of like don't know what's behind the curtains. And she's super talented and she's completely recognized for her talents. She's like one of the biggest up and coming artists. And then there's also Clemence Vazar who I worked with at the gallery in London that I worked at. And she is an incredibly talented French artist. She's interdisciplinary, so she does all different kinds of works. But the one that I really loved that was actually um, exhibited at the gallery that I worked at was her project Beyond Self-Reflection, where she had mirrors and then she had written on them backwards in lipsticks, these kind of I am statements that she had collected from a bunch of different women. And... I don't remember exactly what the question was that she prompted, but it was something along the lines of like, what makes you feel like a woman or something like that? And Mm -hmm. then they would be all these statements like, I am powerful Mm -hmm. and all different kinds. And she'd write them down. And like I said, backwards. So when you're looking into the mirror, it's like, it's also like looking into the mirror, the the words, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's, it's backwards in our world, but it's the correct way in the mirror world, if that makes sense. So those are three really amazing current artists that I think deserve a lot of love for their work and are incredibly, incredibly talented. No, that's, I'll have to check them out. And again, I'll provide a links in the show notes for sure for each of the artists. And absolutely. do you dabble in art? I know growing up you were pretty artistic and in fashion too as well. Do you also continue to, or if you have the time, I know with studies it's hard. (laughs) 
Yeah, um, I don't consider myself an artist or like dabbling in art at all. I do like little creative projects, but all stuff that's very simple and is just kind of for relaxing. Like I, I'm pretty into cross-stitching right now. Hmm. So I've been doing some cross-stitching. I have like a paint by numbers kit that I've been working on. So just like little things like that, but nothing where I'm I'm the one necessarily creating everything, right? Like the cross stitch mm-hmm. is like a kit that like tells you how to do it right. and the paint by numbers, but it's all to kind of like have that creative flow and do creative things, even if it's a little bit like more relaxed and isn't requiring as much creative energy. Cause I think a lot of my creative energy goes into studying art and talking about art and writing about art. So it's kind of hard to want to devote that creative energy to like making art. Right. That's another question I wanted to ask is about your studies in school. And so what can someone who maybe is interested in studying art, what are the kind of classes, like you mentioned, visits to museums, but what kind of classes do you take? And then, you know, you mentioned writing essays. What does kind of the structure for study for art studies and art history look like? Well, this last semester, I had two classes. One was material culture and one was the Baroque art. It was Baroque Dutch art. And that one was at the MFA. I love love Dutch Dutch art. art. Yes, I do. What Dutch art do you like? I do love Vermeer, of course, not to be like just Mm kind of like the basic Vermeer. No, no. But (laughs) there's something, there's not not any like specific artist it's just that that time period. We recently with Jesse just were going to watch Tulip Fever and then we didn't get to it. I don't know if you ever watched that movie. Mm, no. Tulip Fever. It's amazing. It's about essentially the Tulip Fever, the craze yeah, yeah. in the Netherlands and in Amsterdam because you're in Amsterdam watching the tulips, the bulbs, the trade, all the money that, you know, I mean, it was such a highly treasured piece, the bulbs and everything, the trade. And so the book, it you know, has some characters and there's a love story and everything. But that movie does kind of capture those moments, especially with like Vermeer. There's a few of his paintings where they kind of try to catch it, I think. But it actually did remind me one thing I did like about Vermeer's work is some of his, the reflections that he would do in like the mirrors. And I know that was kind of those really ahead of his time, especially self-portraits within other paintings. So there's something about just that time period. I personally, I love Amsterdam as well. I love Dutch architecture, even the modern Dutch architecture. I just really kind of, whenever I'm in Amsterdam, I am just constantly taking photos and really there's something about the Dutch, the Dutch mentality and how, creative they are throughout the different centuries there's I just don't there's not one time period I think because some of the contemporary architecture I don't maybe maybe don't really like gravitate towards but something about the Dutch I just really like okay cool yeah no their art's incredible um you'll when you're in Boston you'll have to come to the MFA it's the the Dutch I mean I am obviously biased but the Dutch uh wing of the MFA is incredible and I think it's something like they have the like biggest collection of Dutch art in America or something like that. I don't want to say something wrong, but their like their Dutch collection is supposed to be like very impressive. And it is, it's really, really cool. They have a lot of incredible, incredible works there and they do a really good job curating it. There's like one room that's meant to feel like you're in a Dutch household. So they kind of have it like they have like different tile floor and there's one of those really cute Dutch dollhouses that, they would do or they have like the miniatures and the dollhouses which are really cool and it's just kind of set up with furniture and that's a really unique experience I think so 
It is true about when you curate a space, especially in a museum. We were just at the Getty Center. And for me, the Getty Center is more of a architectural wonder. I go there more. I know last New Year's, we were in Topanga Canyon. And on the way home, we stopped at the Getty Villa because Jesse had never been. And that also is very architectural. I mean, it, you feel like you're in Europe. And so this year, since we were in Topanga again for New Year's, we decided to go to the Getty Center on the way up. And Actually, you were, we were coordinating this episode while we were at the Getty Center, which is kind of fun. So I was like, oh, this like works out really well. And I think it was the visit to the Getty Center that inspired me to be like, hey, I should probably just check out, like, see if Michaela would be interested in coming on the podcast to talk about art. But I think it, you're, it's so important the way a space is curated so you can really experience the art. And I think not to... Not to say that the Getty Center didn't do a, a good job of, there was this one exhibit I was really interested in seeing, which was they found some Mayan books in Mexico. And us having been to Belize last year, well, now last year for our, our honeymoon and really getting to learn about the Mayan culture, that's something Jesse and I really didn't ever know about. And we we're so excited to see how, you know, what the books looked like and could we really relate, you know, the Mayan culture from Mexico to Belize and what we had seen. And it was kind of a shame because the book was in such a dark, lit room and it was just very crowded and they had little videos going on in the background that it kind of just took away from this exquisite work that they were able to find and and bring to you know it was a traveling exhibit piece but yeah the importance of curating art it just gives you a different experience when you're looking at absolutely it. yeah no it's it's very important for sure but I, I also think you were saying like it's more architectural but I think the architecture and the space that you're in is a part of the art experience, right? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm a student of history of art and architecture. Right. It all kind of goes together. And I, I didn't, I don't learn architecture in the way you learn architecture. I, I learn a lot more about like the art, which I know you also learned, but we don't learn any of the technical stuff. We just learn about like the beauty and the art of it. But the, you know, the space is art. And that's actually my other class, Material Culture, that is a part of it that like your space that you're in everything is and any space like literally any space whether it's outside or inside everything has cultural meaning even like one of the articles that we read one of the essays that we read from my class said something along the lines of like a mcdonald's is as historically in, like relevant and culturally relevant as like a you know as like notre dame basically mm -hmm. because both of them provide cultural information and like spatial information on where they are and the culture that they reside in. So I absolutely think that you can go to like the Getty Museum just to enjoy the architecture and you're still there to enjoy the art, mm -hmm. especially because the space there is so beautiful. I mean, like the gardens are so beautiful. That's mm -hmm. artistry, right? No, absolutely. Yeah. I hadn't been there since they did most of the new landscaping in the two new buildings in the restaurant. That was really fun to see. And we, I think we're going to go back late spring because nothing was in bloom and it was kind of cold and foggy, but no, mm. it's, and I guess what one thing the Getty Center and the Getty Museum does really well though, too, that I like is you have to take the tram up from the parking lot. Mm -hmm. And that's, I guess that's one thing mm -hmm. I do like about, about the Getty is you're already kind of experiencing, you're removing yourself from, you know, your car and the outside world. And you're now coming to this like oasis of art, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Do you have any favorite museums? Yeah, um, yeah, I do. I really like the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam. That's been like a longtime favorite of mine. Oh and... my god, that's my favorite museum too. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> the Rijksmuseum. 
Yeah. That's the oh, two towers, fantastic. right? Yeah. Oh, is it two towers? Uh, yeah, I think it's two towers. Where you go under the Are tunnel? Have to Google a photo. Of... Yeah, 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 yeah. It is. It is. Yes. Yeah, that's my favorite museum too. That's funny. You remember like what the outside looks like. Yeah. I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm like, I don't remember the name of the building. I'm like, I know there's a tunnel and it's got these towers and it's beautiful and it's right by the Van Gogh Museum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. It's right near the Van Gogh. Yeah. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I like the Rijks Museum a lot. I really like the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum here in Boston. I've only been once, but that's really special. It was that woman's house. It was Isabella Stewart Gardner's house. I mean, house is like an understatement. It's a massive building. Mm -hmm. And she was like this massive art collector. And there's just art like everywhere. And I guess a part of her will was that like they're not allowed to change it. Mm -hmm. So like literally nothing can be moved. You can't change the art. So you'll have like, incredibly high value art that's like high up and like difficult to see because that's the way she curated it which is kind of fun it's a really interesting experience and there's these like beautiful gardens in the middle I mean it's like it's exactly like we were just saying it's an architectural experience Mm -hmm. and it's an art experience because it's this like beautiful building beautiful gardens and then there's just like all this incredible art inside and it's a really unique experience because she just did it on her own and now the public can see it because for years, people couldn't see the art that she had in there. No, that, that is true. There are so many private collections of art that unfortunately we don't get to see. I know I've had a few clients. I had a client in Chicago who had a Banksy and I am so bummed I didn't get to stay on the, I ended up moving back to California before the project was complete mm-hmm. and before the Banksy was installed. You had the girl with the red balloon. Oh yeah. And I was so excited when I heard I'm like, okay, I have to I have to wait for this project to be done. But yeah, there's the private collections and the and it is amazing once they become public for sure. Mm-hmm. So that they can be shared with yeah. everyone. Yeah. But I definitely also think that people have a right to their own private collections. I think that's kind of a debate in the art world, like whether or not people should have a right to have this these incredible works of art in their home. Mm-hmm. But I like to think so because I have art in my house and they're not by famous artists, but a lot of it's by artists that I've I've purchased it from the artists directly. And I want it to be in my house. I don't want to have to give it to some museum (laughs) or something. So I think people have a right to have that stuff in their house. No, absolutely. You You pay for it. It's your it's your thing. Exactly. You get to have it. Exactly. And are there any museums that you have on your list that you want to visit? Oh, man. Do I have any museums on my list that I want to visit? Um. No, I wouldn't say. Actually, no, that's not true. I do. I want to go to the museums in New York. I've been to New York a couple times since like being here on the East Coast, and I just haven't gotten the chance to go to the museums because they've been such quick visits. Mm -hmm. But I'd really like to go to the MoMA. I've been to the MoMA before, but I was extremely ill, and so I had to leave immediately, which was such a bummer. But I'd really like to see the MoMA. There's just so many works of art in there that I've studied. And it's incredible to get to see works of art that you've studied in person because it always shocks you that they're so different from how you pictured them when like all you've seen are photos. They're always like differently sized than you pictured. And it's always just so much more stunning to see it in person. So definitely the MoMA. I really want to see the Whitney. I've had people tell me that the Whitney is like their favorite art museum in New York, I want to say. And the fact that like art students have told me that. And art history students have told me that makes me very intrigued. So I definitely want to go to the museum. 
the Whitney Museum. And then I also want to go to the Met, of course. Mm. So those are like my big three, but that's just kind of a New York thing. And I think that's kind of been on my mind since I'm so close to New York. I definitely want to go there and just do like a museum trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know for sure. And did you go to the Art Institute when you visited Chicago? No, I haven't. Oh, well, oh, like a really long time ago. I haven't been to Chicago at all recently. Well, yeah, I know. Yeah, probably since I graduated, which was. Yeah, I don't remember if we went to the Art Institute. Because I think that's, I was just thinking about when you said, you made such a great point, once you see art in real life, in person, and you might have a different experience with it, looking at it. And there's a piece mm-hmm. in, at the Art Institute, that's probably one of my favorite paintings. And I don't know the name and I don't know, I don't know who painted it. I have a magnet of it on my fridge. I'll have to look it up. <laughs> that's all right. It's called like a rainy day in Paris and it's a couple mm-hmm. and they're in the corner holding an umbrella and there's a few avenues behind them. And for some reason, that's like the one painting I always go to there. And throughout when I was studying at Illinois Tech, we had, I think as students, we had free admissions for the longest time. So I was constantly going there, especially for school trips. And that was one painting that just, I don't know, there's something about it that just made me feel calm and just the way the couple was together. And I think taking art history lessons and or classes, especially I took it in high school and then I took one, two classes in architecture school because we had to, to learn about art history. But once you approach a painting and then you, you're looking at it and you're kind of seeing, you're figuring out the story that the artist is trying to convey, I always like kind of seeing what I think the artist would convey. And, and do you, do you learn about that in art history? Like how can you, when you show up and look at a painting, kind of how to not dissect it that's too much of like a scientific term but like like analyze it yeah analyze it yeah actually that that's a good way to return back to your question that we completely ignored because we like went off the rails you (laughs) asked me a little while ago what my classes are like oh yeah just like we we both like completely went on tangent yeah yeah we do kind of learn how to analyze works I mean it's very dependent on the class I think but our essays are about analyzing works of art and talking about works of art I think it kind of to me I think it kind of comes naturally when it once you've been in art history classes a lot like once you have looked at so many works of art and once you study so many works of art I think art starts to make a lot more sense to you but I also think it depends a lot on what the artist's intention was or if the artist had an intention a lot of artists don't say why they made a work of art or what they mean the work of art to mean And of course, that's why we use like history and cultural ideas to try to figure out what things are. But yeah, I would say we do learn how to analyze. I mean, that's that's kind of the point, right, of art history is understanding and analyzing works of art. But I think for me, like when I go to museums, I really try to just enjoy it. I don't go to museums to like work, really. (laughs) I just want to go and look at stuff because I spend so much time thinking about art that when I go to museums for fun, I just want to enjoy it. I just want to have a good time. And for me, that's a much more like responding to the aesthetics and responding to things I like, right? Like if you see like a painting of, I don't know, like really beautiful flowers and it like really resonates with you. I kind of just like to do that too, where I just look at paintings and if I like the colors and I like the subject matter or whatever, I like the painting. It doesn't necessarily have to be about what the painting means or, and of course that can add another layer And of course, that stuff is like super important. But I think sometimes it's nice to just be like, this is nice. (laughs) Like have that be it, you know, not have to look any deeper. But in terms of like what we learn in class or what we what our classes are like, our classes are very discussion based. So 
last semester, both classes had this kind of pattern where outside of class, we would read journals and essays and articles, and we would then have to like discuss those ideas in class and often respond to them in some way, like for quote unquote homework. But a lot of the time it was just like, if you did it, it was submitted, like, you know, you got a check mark kind of thing just to make sure we're like doing the reading and all that. And so, yeah, we would go to class and we would discuss those ideas. My one class, the material culture class, that one was entirely discussions. So we would have our readings and then there'd be like a discussion leader that week and the discussion leader would kind of introduce it and introduce questions. And then the class would kind of circulate with those questions and basically just expand on the ideas and get a deeper understanding of the ideas by discussing them. Whereas my Dutch class, we did do some of that, but because it was in the museum, we spent a lot of time discussing the art in the museum space. But I think that was a very unique experience because of where that class was. And then we did write, we had final essays. So it was a lot of writing throughout the semester to like respond to the readings, like I mentioned before, but those aren't quite graded as intensely. And then for our final papers, we have like longer essays, like 20 page essays that we'd have to write (laughs) (laughs) a 20 page essay. I mean, yeah, it's pretty intense. Yeah. We'd have to like find a specific subject matter and kind of analyze it and talk about it. Wow. You know, that definitely differs from architecture school. Like we just, we built projects, we designed projects, but definitely Mm -hmm. not 20 page papers, but that's really, yeah, that's, and so are your, just on a side note, are your classes like pass or fail or do you get grades? We get grades. So yeah, we get grades, but we, anything under a B is a failing grade. So if you get more than, I don't know how many it is, maybe two or three, more than two or three, like quote unquote failing grades, you get kicked out of the program. You have to get A's and B's to continue in the program. So I think that the professor's it's not quite like a strict point-based system. I think that everything is kind of taken into consideration when they're grading you. I mean, this is just my perception of it. And nobody like officially told me this, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's like, are you participating in class? Are you saying intelligent things in discussion? Are you thoughtful? Are you clearly like critically thinking about what you're being exposed to? I think all of those things together go into your grade rather than just like the one final essay or like the assignments you're given. Mm -hmm. Because I think the professors are there more to be like, should this person be in the program? And if the answer continues to be yes, they'll give you the grade that they think is most appropriate, right? They'll give you the grade that allows you to continue in the program. I think you'd have to like be a pretty bad student for them to kick you out of the program. For sure. And it also seems like in master's too, the people are already more committed than they are in undergraduate. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And our classes are all mixed with master's and PhD students. So we're interacting directly with PhD students. And so they do feel much more professional and serious than like undergraduate classes. And they're really, really small. The classes are are tiny. We're all like sitting around a table basically. So they do feel very like serious and you are really encouraged to like contribute. I think it'd be really hard to slack off and like be a part of this system it just wouldn't work no for sure no Mm -hmm. and then what classes are you taking this semester then i am taking a african art class i have to look at my notes (laughs) i'm taking an african art i start this week so it's kind of like out of my mind yeah yeah. Yeah, i start tomorrow technically so it's kind of out of my mind until i like start i'm really using every minute of my vacation (laughs) to 
be on vacation. Oh, well, I appreciate Thank you for coming on then during your, your vacation. No, this is fun. I okay, like talking good. about art. No, yeah. it's it's good. No, this isn't like school or work okay, or anything. Good. No, I'm taking an African art class. I'm taking a 20th century art class. And then I'm taking a like reading French class, which is just to fulfill a requirement. We have to be able to read in a different language for research purposes. Oh. And so, yeah, so if you're like, right, like not everything's going to be in English mm-hmm. and that's can kind of be an issue, right? Like if you don't, if you can't read in a foreign language, it's going to be a problem if you're in a field where you need a foreign language. Mm-hmm. Like last semester when I was writing my paper for my Dutch art class, a lot of the resources are in Dutch and I can't oh. read Dutch. Right. So I just can't use those resources, which is, it's fine when you're writing a paper for a class, your professor knows that, but if that's your job, you need to be able to read Dutch. So I'm taking a French reading class and it's, you can either take the class or just take a test and the test has you like translate like a paragraph or whatever. So yeah, but I'm, I'm taking the class cause I wanted to kind of get it more in depth and also have that on my transcript if I choose to apply to PhD programs. So people can see that I can read in French, um, but I'm excited. I think the classes, I have incredible professors. I'm super excited to talk about African art and 20th century art Um, they're both I think focused on more like modern Hmm. I mean obviously 20th century art is going to be modern art but I believe that the African art class is also about like more modern or contemporary African art so that should be really cool All right. No, it sounds like you have a lot of exciting classes and coming up. So then, so it's a two-year program, right? At BU. Mm -hmm. And then have you, not to, I know it's, you're only in your first year. Have you thought about what's next for you after? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you kind of have to, it moves so quickly. (laughs) I'm still figuring it out, of course, but I think as of right now, I would like to continue on to get my PhD. That's my current mentality. And I fully intend to start applying to PhD programs next fall. That's kind of like what I'm bracing myself for right now. Mm. But I I am open to just going to a career after that or even taking a break and then going back to a PhD. I know that's like extremely common and that's increasingly common nowadays, I guess. Um, That's what people have been telling me. So if I don't get into a PhD program that I was really excited about or I decide not to go into a PhD program, I can always like take time off, have a job, see how that goes, and then go back to PhD. But as of right now, I'm not exactly sure like what kind of job I'd want or what exactly. I'm still trying to figure that out, which is why I'm applying to the internships and the part-time jobs now. Because I think, you know, as I go through this, I'll gain more experience and see what I really am drawn towards and what I really enjoy. Um, As of right now, I really like doing research and I really like writing about art and discussing art. So it seems really exciting to get paid to continue to go to school, (laughs) but we'll see. No, and internships too. I, coming from my experience, that's where I realized I wanted to do residential, but not only residential, high-end residential. So yeah, internships Mm -hmm. are so important every summer to have, or, you know, to, to really, it lets you dip your toes into different jobs without having to commit, which is really nice. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how else are you going to find out what you're passionate about unless you try it or what you hate? You might do an internship and be like, God, I hate doing this job. So I don't want to do this anymore. Exactly. The the stakes are Mm -hmm. not as high as when you have a job. 
Oh, for sure. And especially when you're in school, I think people are much more flexible with you and much more like they understand if you're an intern and you're a student that you don't know necessarily everything and that you're there to learn. And I think that's like a really nice environment to be in. No, absolutely. Well, Michaela, thank you so much for coming on from the Honeycomb podcast. Uh, This was such a fun conversation. I really, I cannot wait to visit Boston and go to the Dutch exhibit at the museum. So I'm definitely adding that to my list. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. This went by so fast. It was really fun to talk about art and to talk to you about art. I mean, you're also so like artistic and you know, you love cultural things and you also love museums. I mean, I, I really think that we both share that love mm-hmm. a lot. So it's it's very fun to talk about it. This has been great. Yeah, this has been. Well, good. Well, thank you. Well, this was such a special conversation. I love talking about how our worlds of architecture and art history overlap. Michaela, thank you again for coming on the podcast. This was really fun. And I hope you have an incredible time in Amsterdam seeing all of Vermeer's work. I'm so jealous. What an incredible opportunity to see so many of his pieces. And thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please give it a heart or thumbs up and click the follow button so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes. Follow me on Instagram at From the Honeycomb Podcast. Thank you so much and see you next Friday.